Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you expect to be home for such a kind of period of time again when you left last time? I, you know, it's always my home, so I was always going to spend time, but it's, you know, since going away to university, it had been like, you know, a couple months at a time tops for like a summer or something like that, and that's kind of what we gotten used to. So to come back and like <laughs> move home after starting that independent momentum, momentum away from home, and then come back and feel like you're 12 again and like asking my parents, can I use the car? It's like, it's just been a total, <laughs> total mind trip, but um. No, yes, yeah, so no, it's very unexpected and wasn't planning on having this chunk, this like proper chunk of time at home anytime soon. But like I said, it's just kind of the way that, the way that it turned out and very, very grateful to, to be here now. Have you noticed the impact your songwriting in any way? You know, being close to those people again that you're so kind of connected to? Because family connection is different to friends. Like even if you're close with people in Liverpool, it's a different thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's like as much the interaction with people that has affected my kind of songwriting lately being home but more the um more just like the drastic change in environment going from from liverpool back here and and kind of like I, like i was touching upon like that like that juxtaposition of that um you know building your own kind of slightly independent life away from you know your childhood home and then coming home and being in your old bed and and you know just having those two worlds exist simultaneously and just yeah that i think the being back in this what i'm trying to say is being back in this kind of home environment is definitely having an effect on my songwriting and especially being able to kind of pivot from liverpool where i've spent the last three years um it's like a total fresh take on this place that i thought i knew so well you know and it's um it's able to just see it in a different way that's interesting is that because when you, when you go to liverpool you know and you're kind of starting fresh and you're meeting all these new people, if you change slightly as a person or you act differently when you're over there, 
when you come back home, do you still feel like you're kind of in the Liverpool version of yourself for a bit before you kind of... I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't know if it's um, how much I feel myself changing, but I definitely um, feel affected by my environment and the environments are very different. So to whatever extent that affects how I act, maybe that's on a subconscious level, but it's definitely... Yeah, I mean, you can feel your... um, your worldview slightly shift when you make such a, such a, they're just very different places. <laughs> but I think they both affect me in a, a positive way. Yeah, I didn't mean to, I don't know if I painted it in a negative light, being home after all this time. Like, they're both very, um, you know, they have positive effects on me, but they're so different. So it is that full, full trip when you're, when you're making that change. How is, that's interesting. Like, do they bring out, different sides of you how did because you're saying they both impact you in a positive way but i'm intrigued by how that that positive influence is different for each one you know when you're sitting in such different places like i mean i'll just think about it like musically i think um like both places have such rich musical cultures and history like you know northern england yeah. and northern seoul you know england in general and then like Hawaiian music culture is very strong here too and it's a very very different uh the different different take on music but it's like equally as deep and so I mean I think just from the musical aspect being surrounded by those in that atmosphere uh, affects me musically and whether it's like walking around Liverpool listening to like Revolver <laughs> or like you know being here and learn how to play the Hawaiian steel guitar I think those elements bring out different uh different things on on like you know how I'm feeling about music and what I want to write about and the sounds like the sonic palette I would use when doing something like that so it's like yeah I think I I, I have fun thinking about like those kind of like super subtle ways I think those places in those places influence me musically and that's like they're just really cool worlds to dive into when you're there or when, when I'm here kind of vibe. It's funny that you you brought up like Revolver there. You mentioned Revolver and then spoke about the kind of sonnet palette. Because was Revolver one of the albums that you recreated as a kid or as a teenager? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Fair, thank you for knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in high school, we had to do a, like a senior project and it was kind of open-ended. And I just, I like <laughs> just chatted my teachers to let me do some sort of like Oh, what do I even call it? I came up with a super formal name for the project. It was like a, a study of analog tape emulation using digital recording software and like an in-depth study of re-recording my favorite songs off of Rubber Soul and Revolver. I called it Revolving Soul. <laughs> but but <laughs> it, the whole the whole approach is like re-record those records using obviously like, you know, digital recording software, but embracing an analog recording style. So like no overdubs like no punching in like although you know you could do that on a real real tape machine but just yeah it kind of set set myself back a bit and and learn the parts by ear so that was a crazy project for me learn the parts by ear that's that's heavy going i was just trying to like give, give myself a different criteria to uh to like approach this particular um recording project and it was a blast for me because i just those are my favorite records in it you just you know have to listen a lot <laughs> how how old are you at this point? I was uh, 17. 17. Where were you at as a producer and a songwriter at that point in your life then? I'd put out a record with my childhood band here. Oh, see, 
OCDC. Yeah, OCDC. Wow, man. Thank you for doing the doing the research. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> OCDC was our take on ACDC and obsessive compulsive disorder. So OCDC. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that album's still up. It's still out. Yeah, it's up on Spotify. It's um, it's a uh, a favorite of you know my Kawhi homies here. We just we you know we'll. we'll throwback put it on blast them out <laughs> um, when was the last time you heard I it i think an auntie of mine actually put on some tunes from it the other day and it was wild because i was listening through and actually being like i wonder if i could ever like put a new spin on any of these and and reproduce them in a totally new way so that might happen at some point <laughs> it's funny how young you sound on it i know yeah i mean listening back it's like it's so uh it's so angsty i don't know what was going on <laughs> I was listening to a lot of Modest Mouse, probably, and uh, and I was just, just going ham. <laughs> yeah, that was my first like kind of dive into. Um, well, yeah, that was that was like yeah, really having fun with recording because I'd always mess around with it. But this was um, our friend, our engineer mate Andrew Vastola came over and he like basically set up a studio in our room, and we just um, like dug in for a few months and just I don't know, I didn't know you could take take time on that kind of thing and have fun and try out, you know, dig into that sonic palette. So that was a, a, a big, a big thing for me. Did you get the taste? Was that kind of what started to drive you a little bit in the years following? Did you get the taste from that? Especially for like, yeah, writing my own tunes and um, writing for the people and, and like really digging into the recording process. That was the first time I'd, you know, done it totally at own pace kind of thing, you know. Did you demo those songs before you recorded them for the record? Yeah, yeah, I'd, um, so yeah, and my more, like, gorilla recording setup, which I'm actually back to now, I, um, but yeah, I would, uh, just, like, demo them as best as I could, and then we'd learn the parts and, and record them properly, and just kind of, yeah, early days of, of honing in on, you know, my creative routine with that. Now when you, now when you're working on songs, at what point does an idea become a demo? You know, at what point does it stop just being like a melody or a kind of riff? And at what point do you classify it and put the demo stamp on it? I think I'd have to attempt recording it in some sense and have it be, you know, more than a voice memo for me. Um, so, yeah, like, I'll, you know, sit down and that's when you kind of first start to create the, like, you know, what texture the song is going to have, like what... <laughs> what Beatles record am I going to choose for to be the sonic palette inspiration for this one? <laughs> um, no, yeah, it'll, it'll be like, yeah, blasting out like a verse and a chorus with me like mumbling over it. Crank it out in Logic real quick to have a bounce to listen to and then to write right on top of. But definitely it would be a demo once the kind of sonic palette has been kind of established. So guitar sounds drum sound and is it going to be a, a super dry tune or is it going to be this like washy kind of, i don't know yeah I, those are the kind of things i have to figure out before i start writing words but so it's a, it's a demo once once there's it has like a sonic identity more than just on my voice demo if that makes any sense yeah it almost sounds like it's a demo as well once you've answered some questions like you're saying that you're asking yourself these questions about the soundscape once you've figured out the answers to that yeah. exactly exactly yeah like what what what's its what's its atmosphere going to be in the end like the the earliest stages of it having its uh its own original identity what do you find is often the spark is the spark often the same element the thing that kind of kickstarts a song off when an idea going <laughs> yeah it's weird i mean 
it's happened always in the past, but primarily it's it starts with a, it's definitely yeah like a, like a more a melodic thing. It's rarely ever a lyric first for me, so it'll definitely be a a guitar sound that really inspires me, or a, or, a, or a drum groove. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely coming from that side of it that kind of has to like excite me enough to try and write words to it. <laughs> Can you come up with? melodic ideas away from an instrument or do you have to kind of be jamming on something to get to them i can i can um brainstorm away from an instrument and, and, and keep the ideas down yeah it's funny as well i was listening to you posted some of the kind of voice memos that you had for corella Deville. yeah and you you have that drum beat there right away from the off <laughs> like you have the whole you pretty much have the whole rhythm down i know was that was it the one where i was beatboxing on it yeah <laughs> yeah i know it's <laughs> wild that and i mean and surprisingly like enough that um the drumbeat was a thing which kind of held it back for a while because I hadn't it hadn't translated from my my beatbox demo to a live kit <laughs> the first time round very well. So it, it took me a minute to to hone in on exactly what how that beatbox would evolve. But yeah, that, that that's a there you go. That's a prime example of just having some weird um, grounding elements from the from day one, whether it's a beatbox or like a whistle melody or something. <laughs> As soon as you have that melody, does it, does it kind of spark all these different things? Like, does the drum beat come into your head as soon as you have it? Do you know where everything's kind of going to go? Yeah. I mean, with with that tune, for instance, like, it's such a, I feel like it's kind of a, a driving groove that doesn't stop the whole time. So that, and it, that then gives you the kind of, um, oh, it's going to be kind of like a walking tune, like you're walking down the street kind of thing. And then that'll obviously spark imagery and ideas. And and then is it sunny out? Like, well, what kind of guitar tone are we going to do? I feel like it all kind of, it does all flow together and feed it, yeah, feed into each other and ignite certain ideas, whether it's lyrical or or more just um, melodic and, and instrumental. Can you ever put ideas that you've developed, like kind of separately, that have just come to you together, or does everything that kind of follows from the initial idea have to be a reaction off of it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For a little while, I I wasn't in the habit of that. I don't know why. If I thought like if I would just it had to be all be pure from the same idea or any of that, but I, I think I kind of quickly got over that and realized that it's um you got to be open to everything in this creative process. So yeah, yeah, anything, anything, anything can work. You still have the demo shed. Yeah, I have. Um, it's been like I put it up a while ago, and I don't know if the the link is still available, but I put tunes on there. I think they're still up there. <laughs> I gotta recheck on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the demo show. I'm trying to think how did that one come about I had a bunch of like ideas that, that's what it was I was kind of at a loss of what idea to put the energy into next to to kind of get it across the finish line and then I was talking to my mom and she she had the idea of like she's like well just like you know at, put it put it public and get you know people who dig your music like ask them what the, what they what resonates with them to, and that would and then I, that just never occurred to me as as to kind of open up that process because it was always very uh you know i decide everything myself and, and try and <laughs> but like i'm like no it doesn't got to be that precious that way like yeah i mean i'm not always going to be the one listening to music so <laughs> what resonates with anybody else and it was really really cool to see what ones stood out to people because like sometimes it was like spot on like yeah it's my favorite or sometimes it was like i would have never put any more energy into that idea and into that idea just because i kind of wrote it off too soon but it, it clicked with somebody so that i don't know that helped me a lot just just uh being a little more gentle with my ideas and realizing uh 
I'll just give certain ones a chance more, you know? Were any songs in that that have come out since? Yeah, I think um, Krilla DeVille was in there a while ago. I think uh, this tune, Come Down, was on there. This one, Like I Don't Mind. Another one, High School Steady. Yeah, yeah, there's a like, lot of the EP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the whole EP. There you go. I know. That'd be that'd be a fun thing. That'd be a fun project at some point to like release a, an EP of demos. I don't know. Mix them mix them to a, a Spotify standard, but then put them out in their original their original state. <laughs> when was the last time you heard those demos? Well, some of them have, have evolved like on top of those original recordings and have then been like mixed really well and the demos have kind of stayed and some of them I've totally re-recorded the, I, I've, 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 some of them have it's been a while but some of them I've heard more recently yeah it's, a, it's always trippy listening back to to a song which you you know you spend a lot of time with and, and get to a certain place and then you listen to a version of it when it had its same identity but it was like totally different and it's this weird alternate universe of, this, of the direction a song could have gone <laughs> You know, do you ever develop songs in certain directions and then kind of walk back and try a different path? For sure, yeah, that that's definitely what happened with Krilla Deville. Is I tried it in a certain way, and um, like I said, like the, it was something about the drum beat that didn't nail it. So I re-recorded everything and used this uh, this crazy drum machine sound, and then gave it a whole other, like kicked it in a whole other direction. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So you, the, the parts were still the same. You just re-recorded them, though. A lot of the parts stayed the same. Some of them, some of them I changed, and then um, yeah, whole tempo of the tune, groove of the tune, and yeah, it's that's like it's a trippy thing, and that I guess that doesn't happen a lot because I I get quite attached to things, and then it's obviously hard to have fresh ears and reimagine how how they could sound. But it was cool to that for that to have been a, a successful attempt to reimagine a tune because it isn't always. <laughs> It's interesting how you can change, you know, just a couple of those elements in sunlight places everything else in a different context. It's like just putting in the right pieces of the puzzle and it all just clicks. Absolutely, absolutely. And um yeah, yeah, and you never know what it what is gonna act as that puzzle piece, but for that that for that tune it was it was literally just the drum sound, the group. It was weird. Correlative fills an interesting one as well, lyrically. You obviously kinda got this femme fatale. But then you also have, it's one of your songs that I've noticed that you quite often like to reference things, like kind of cultural reference points. You got Cruella DeVille, you got FIFA. And is the Beatles reference on The Fool on the Hill? There's one of them in there too? I think I think that's all of them. Yeah. <laughs> is that like a conscious thing you put in, like almost like dropping in Easter eggs, or does that just come out in the flow of consciousness when you're writing? I mean, I I enjoy, um, like I love it when, when other people reference what, and I, th- I think the people who I enjoy listening to their references, they do it in this kind of Easter egg kind of sense. W- whether it's in uh, in music or in movies or literature, like I think it's it's like such a cool tool to be able to play with, you know. Or, or whether you're like referencing, it's like a, yeah, a song within a song. It's that like intertextuality of like referencing art within art, which I think is like uh, yeah, you can just have a blast with that, and you have a whole world of beautiful art to pull from and like connect in whatever way you can you know so yeah i thought like there, there's that in almost i think every single one of my tunes there's some reference to some obscure something <laughs> um <laughs> a f- at least a few but dude you nailed it on that one you picked him up thank you for listening so closely <laughs> it carries into the music videos too 
not necessarily the same references, but you're still, you know, you're referencing things visually too. Absolutely. That's what I mean. It's, that's like what, what's so fun about it is like, in, like, why not like, you know, nod to certain things, pay homage to one, like have a spin, spin something else in a different way. I don't know. Like, I think when I realized you could do that and there are no rules with, with how you want to tie things together, it like totally opened up a, a lyrical world for me. It's interesting to kind of think about it in the context, you know, moving to Liverpool, because I imagine when you move 7,000 miles away, suddenly you have all these new kind of fresh cultural reference points that you didn't have previously. Does that suddenly open up kind of a world of inspiration in that sense? Are you constantly kind of picking at things that you might want to work into a song and it's got a nice kind of sound to it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just like, just diving into like, you know, the English language <laughs> as as you all speak it. And like, there's a, that it has its own quirks and idiosyncrasies that like doesn't really translate into other languages as you know all languages have like stuff that's unique to each other but it's cool to be in that part of the world and within that like lexicon and context and like to have that at your you know as a tool as well to play with so yeah yeah there are no limits and being in liverpool definitely was was a blast for me in that sense of just learning new words for things and <laughs> referencing like sandwich shops and whatnot. <laughs> do you get um do you get picked up on it when you go home? Like if you go back to Hawaii and you've kind of picked up some words that have gone into your dialogue, do you get cut out on it? Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> like I'm calling people mate and uh oh god, all sorts. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I'm just that weird kid now who like has like some weird, <laughs> some weird like scouse slang popping out of the at the wrong times, but it's all good. The right times, the right times. And then the other way I around saw- too. I have my I have my, all my mates in um, in Liverpool like saying like slang from here on Kauai, and it just cracks me up. I'm in this like weird alternate universe of like scouse Hawaiian <laughs> slang. Like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what's some good Hawaiian slang? Oh God! I mean, any anything goes. Like one thing we say is uh, "charge large," and that that's just like a a word that means like yeah, it's kind of self-explanatory. You go for it, like "charge large," but like then I hear my mates talking, they're like, "Yeah, charge, mate, charge large." <laughs> <I'm> like what? <laughs> um, all kinds, all kinds. Yeah, I I saw uh, I saw a photo of you at a show as well with a bottle of Buckfast. Oh yeah, which is a Scottish delicacy. How did you get your hands on that? <laughs> that was that happened. Got my first my first bottle of Bugfest and uh, during Freshers Week, so that was straight off the bat, mate. Um, and what a world! What an eye opening experience that was. <laughs> my mate from Sheffield just showed up, and he had like this big bottle of Bugfest, and he's like, "Try this." I'm like, "What the fuck?" But you know, it's a, it's beautiful. It'll sort you out. Yeah, puts the fire in your chest. Absolutely. <laughs> Wakes you up, goddamn. <laughs> you know, when you first kind of move to Liverpool, or even maybe when you come back to Hawaii and you kind of get that sense of transition as you move back into another place, are you able to write from that energy and kind of tap into that chaotic transition state? 100%, yeah. In the example of having come back from Liverpool to Kauai this time, like upon upon that initial lockdown in uh, mid-March, and that was like such a shocker because it was like, you know, it was like one week and wash your hands and the next like, you're coming home, you're on the next plane. I was like, what? So that was, that was like the most uh, abrupt transition I'd had yet. And I came home and it's like the, like I wrote this tune like the first couple of days back and that's this one high school study that's going to be on the new EP. So that, that definitely 
captured that that total culture shock transition in that initial week. That's interesting because when I heard that song, there are parts of it that feel a little bit more full than you sometimes go for in a mix. There's a lot going on. Is that coming from that place? Is that what's feeling that? Yeah, and it's just being like a bit chaotic and nonstop. Um, yeah, it's just all a wash. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was cool to to uh, I think some of that was conscious and some of it probably subconscious. Just how it uh, translated sonically. <laughs> Is it weird to kind of have that chaotic emotion when you're in Hawaii, which we kind of have this impression of being such a chill place? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um. No, nah, I mean, I think uh, I think you'll stress out wherever you are, no matter how chill it is. Especially in COVID time. Right? No, it, it's definitely, it, it is a laid back environment here. A little too much for the likes of me sometimes, which is why I got to get over Liverpool and shake it up a bit. Um, just because I think that's just how I'm wired a little bit. I, I think if I was maybe more of an avid surfer, I would be a, a little more content to just, you know, <laughs> do that. But um, as it turns out, I'm not a great surfer, so I, I got to find my inspiration and excitement in other ways, in music. You were going to be moving to London as well, right? That's, I imagine that's the complete antithesis of Hawaii. That's like kind of chaos times a hundred. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. Like Liverpool is a big city for me. Like walking around, I was like, whoa, these like buildings. And then like take a train out of London and your mind's blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so that was the plan, like after graduating over the summer, um, moved down to London in, in September and it's still the plan when, when the time, when the time's right, I'm, um, I'm going to get back over and then make the move. I still all have my, have my whole flat and trash bags in my mates, uh, my mates are flat in Liverpool. So I have to make the trek down and, and yeah, move in. But that, that's the plan. I love London. What were you studying? Oh, I was studying, yeah, m- music, just, uh, songwriting and production and composition at uh at lipa does that change your kind of perception of your own songwriting voice when you kind of unpack it in that quite theoretical way and practical way yeah i mean it's always a trip like studying your passion but i think it's it was a it was a treat and one i was grateful for to be able to like yeah you know take a whole degree on like writing tunes like that's I just felt like that's a, that's a opportunity. Not everyone who enjoys writing tunes can like afford to take like fuck like three years and then go talk about writing songs. So like I, I was I was very grateful for that and yeah yeah it it, it totally helped me to um, unpack it in a different way and above all just be be in that environment of like you know a lot of a lot of young people really passionate about creating music and that inspired me above, above all else yeah feed off that drive and energy yeah for sure for sure and that's definitely what i was um craving after high school on Kauai was just to yeah have a little change of scenery and, and meet some more people who were you know in into tunes <laughs> did you know anyone else in high school who had the same kind of drive that you do yeah yeah oh absolutely got got a, a lot of um there's so many there's a lot of creative people here on Kauai and I grew up I was so lucky to have grown up with like mates who were you know very passionate about their own creative avenues and that was very inspiring to be around and we all were able to kind of collaborate on stuff growing up and even now with it being such a small little community here like yeah you know what everyone's got going on and and you can uh 
you know, help each other out for stuff and, and work on things together. So that was, that definitely like, you know, drove me through my kind of childhood here and, and, and high school and moving forward. But definitely the, then there just came a point post high school where we're all moving away and trying different stuff out. And it seemed like staying on Kauai wouldn't be the most, uh, yeah, productive next step in my own musical endeavor. So what was like the access to, um, to like equipment, like when you went to Liverpool, like from like the university, did you get access to like studios and stuff and different equipment that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, they have great studios up there and I, uh, lived with, uh, my master who's studying sound technology. So he was able to get us into a lot of the studios and we were able to just mess around and yeah, no, it was great. It was great. How did that studio compare to Sheldon Gomberg's who you worked with on an album? Sheldon, that's amazing. So Sheldon's my godfather actually. And he, um, and my dad used to be in a band when, uh, when they were living in LA um a jazz trio so like yeah they go, they go way back and my mom was recording a jazz record with her father at sheldon's studio which is a studio that he built in the house that was actually born in silver lake in that house and he wow. he bought it from us and turned it into a studio so when i got the chance to go over and like record some tunes it was it was like you know the full full circle like coming home to my house I was born in and got to record these tunes, you know, when I was 16, 17. Yeah, that's like a world-class studio he's made there. And it's like, I love, I love Sheldon. And we just had a, a beautiful time just making, making tunes for a couple of weeks, a week. Was this after the Beatles project? Yeah, this was, uh, or actually it was going on at the same time. Yeah, that was in my senior year of high school. That's crazy. You have this kind of one, the project on one hand where you're doing it all yourself and kind of DIY, completely unpacking everything. And on the other, you're working in like a world-class studio with a professional producer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's how I like it. There's the, the more, the better, honestly. And um, <laughs> it, that just helps me get into that kind of just creative flow. It doesn't matter if it's trying to decipher the twin lead on and your bird can sing <laughs> or, uh, or trying to write my own take on that. <laughs> Are the lessons you learn from each quite different? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But they definitely, they definitely feed into each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I actually directly in the sense that like in learning these parts that, that the Beatles record on those records and realizing the technology they had available to them at the time, like, I think what it brought out in their playing was like this, uh, this like live raw, like gotta kind of perform kind of, you know, vibe to their, to those recordings. So you know, realizing you don't have endless overdubs and endless punch-ins. So like it, that definitely affects your playing. And um, thankfully that affected mine in like a positive way because it can definitely affect you in the way in which you clam up, you know, nothing, nothing flows, but which has also happened, but it's so much nicer just to kind of let go and, and enjoy that excitement and let it, um, yeah, push you to that good, that good boundary of, of recording. So that, that was really cool for me realizing that's what, you know, Paul and John were doing and then to be able to go into my own little studio experience and try and put myself in their shoes and, you know, take it, like go into a guitar solo with that kind of mindset. Do you ever still do that now? Will you like unpack music that you love and try and work out a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. That's, um, I mean, still doing it with that record. <laughs> God. <laughs> so it makes them so great. I know. You just keep getting into them. And like, I, yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm a mad Beatles freak. But yeah, I, I think unpacking any any tune or any any musical moment that makes you feel something is a, is always a good thing to do. So I, I you know I've definitely had times where I get out of the habit of it, but I'll always be listening to music. But then it's like, okay, what's actually going on? Like when, I don't know. It's, it's it's always a fun thing to do. Does that you you kind of mention that you know you'll get into music that makes you feel something? Does it change the way you think about how it makes you feel when you kind of unpack it in that way? No, I don't. I don't think it like detracts from the the initial reaction of it. If anything, it um it just gives you a greater knowledge upon how to how to use it in in my own music. You know, <laughs> that's how how I could incorporate that feeling and, and put my own spin on it. If I can really just understand how you know they set up that musical moment and like what the context of it was and how they did it i don't know yeah i don't know it's a, it's a it's, it's a cool thing and i think it affects my songwriting definitely positively do you remember the first time that happened where you kind of felt this desire to unpack the kind of process and what was actually going on like from a piece of music that you love yeah i mean and it wasn't it wasn't much more than just figuring out a guitar part but that for me was was like a, a first which it was on this this modest mouse tune dashboard Great song. yeah this record johnny marr like recorded with them and that's how i actually got turned on to johnny marr was through that record um so i was like the biggest modest mouse freak growing up and like there's just, just so many good guitar parts and it was that rhythm part that a friend asked me to learn and teach him and then i ended up like having to sit down and try and figure it out and yeah it was like it was a slightly like deeper rhythm part than i tried to accomplish before and it's just like so driving and like when i could like listen to it figure out like in what position they were playing on the guitar and then play and teach to my mate like that was like wow like i can it sounds like the record <laughs> and, and so that that was a moment of like being like wow i can yeah i can play it and it can give me that same feeling like how can i how can i uh like write something off of that kind of thing to make it feel a little bit more in reach, like something this kind of mystical thing you've realized that you can get to it. Yeah, yeah, it's just like mi- mystical thing you have to like this feeling you can only achieve by putting your headphones on and listen like that intro on repeat, and then like you learn it and you're like, wow, I can, no, I can just play it forever and <laughs> can be equally as stoked. I was like, I think nine or ten when that happened, so that was like that's young. I, I, I oh my god, I, yeah, I just love, I love Modest Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we we kind of touched on it. Um, a few moments back when we were speaking about working with Sheldon because you said your your mother was over there working on a record too yeah yeah she was um yeah go ahead you, you're kind of musical family like is everyone in your family kind of involved in a creative musical project in some way yeah kind of it's kind of, it's kind of just turned out that way and well I, mean, I think it was that way long before I ever was around but um my mom and dad are both musicians and passionate about music and we have a an ukulele shop on the North Shore of Kauai here called Honolulu Strings that I used to work at growing up and we sell records we put in like a stage in the corner so that was definitely like that was our family musical hub and where me and all my mates would go and put on nights and nice. play with my band OCDC that was our that was our home turf <laughs> then my mom's dad and mom are also both musicians my my grandma's in a this like 60s rock band called Ace of Cups, one of the first all-girl rock bands in like the San Francisco Hayden Ashbury scene. And then Grandpa was um he's he's a mad jazz composer. It was that's you know 
played all instruments, especially wind instruments, all his life. And it's just this, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy player. Open for Duke Ellington, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> when he was when he was my age, when his band opened up for Duke Ellington, I cannot believe that. And then grandma got to open up for Jimi Hendrix. So like they set the bar pretty high. So <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Were they competing with each other? They were just trying to, they had to like one up each other. <laughs> Not even, I don't even think they were together at that time. They were just like, happen. I think they met after that. Um, but it's just such funny, different worlds, like in a very close vicinity to each other in San Francisco. Your, uh, your grandma's band only put out their debut record like a few years ago though, right? Yeah. So they, they, um, there was like a, a 12 or so song compilation of like kind of bootleg live recordings or rehearsal room. Like someone just held up a, a mic and a tape machine and record some stuff. So there was like a little collection of live demos floating around that was released a while back. And then only recently they kind of got this amazing opportunity to like record these tunes, which they never got the chance to back in the day because you know, it wasn't really a thing to sign an all-girl rock band. It just didn't didn't happen back then a lot. And, it, you know, they end up having kids and all had to, you know, that that became the priority. So that kind of fizzled out, but they always stayed in touch and, and all that. And then at this crazy point in their lives, they've all reconvened with this opportunity to record these songs. And they've just put out their second double vinyl so like i mean they're just unpacking a lifetime's worth of tunes and it's just like magical fairy tale of i mean it's yeah it's, it's beautiful like see him doing all this it's incredible must be a trip oh such a trip yeah i mean i'm like i'm i'm, I'm down there like trying to help my grandma set up her yeti mic to do a, a zoom interview <laughs> <laughs> it's classic she was in the documentary you say you want a revolution yeah which you did the music for in the soundtrack. Exactly. Wow, mate, you've cheers for doing some some research. That's awesome. I feel so <laughs> pro having answered all these questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she, how'd that happen? I think she, the director of it, reached out to her through there because it was put on by the V&A Museum because she was going to be a part of it. She was part of that whole scene. And then I was in London and I ended up meeting the director and then she was talking about soundtracks and it ended up that I did the like the original composition for it. That was a blast. I love that. I'd love that. I could do that. I could do that all day. Was that like tapping into a part of your creativity that you hadn't explored before? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the closest thing I'd done to that was like making some like guitar riffs for some like surf videos growing up <laughs> as far as like composing with a visual element in mind. Um, so yeah, no, that I hadn't I hadn't done much of that before, and then to like sit down with like this like beautiful scene and and like think of how to just what what the what the musical atmosphere is going to be beneath it that was amazing, and I'm I'm like such a fan of soundtracks already, so to be in in that chair for a moment was incredible. You you were saying that you hadn't composed to like images before, but. Are images ever at the center of your songwriting now? Like if you think about something like Cruella de Vil, that's kind of such a strong visual component to that song. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's there's definitely always a little movie playing in my head to every demo. So that that's always been there for sure. Um, but to have such an obvious image in mind, well, that was a new that was a new one for me. But um, 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's such a strong visual theme always for my, I wish it was just like, you could just download a little thumb drive to my every little thing. There'd be the music video sorted right there because I've, I've definitely thought it all out. <laughs> One day. Once Elon Musk gets his chip in your head. Right. Hey, if I, if I can do if I can do that, I'll take it. It's all good. <laughs> what would the little movie be for No Destination? What's playing in your mind for that? I mean, we so we ended up doing a music video for it, which got pretty close. And it was like another kind of like it's that kind of walking groove and it's definitely like this like this building of a tension the whole time. That that okay. There's like a super obscure childhood memory of this uh, light parade they used to put on in Lahui, like this this town towards the south side of Kauai, and it was just like around Christmas time. My mate and I would go. Uh, we had to blow these like conch shells, like the <laughs> so, seashell like, horn thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we had to, that was our job. We were like six, and we we're all dressed up. And we had to go blow these horns and. <laughs> that would commence the prayer. But I have this like this image of like it's all these big Albizia trees like strung up with crazy lights and it's nighttime and it's like a little chillier it's in the wintertime. And that for some reason that scene is definitely where the opening verse takes place, which we obviously didn't do that in the music video, but that is a uh, the weirdest strong image I have for that <laughs> for that first tune. It's funny to think about that in connection to or in context of high school smart. Because we spoke about how you wrote that when you, you know, when you just came home, and there's a lot, there's a, or there's a little bits in that song where you talk about coming home. Is it a different thing when you're pulling from a memory that's very present and happening at that time to when you're kind of going quite far back into your past? Is it a different feeling tapping into them when they're that far apart? Yeah, yeah, that, it's definitely, it's always like a poignant kind of nostalgic aspect to that, realizing there's this like s- such this this uh, visceral memory like way way back there that you know you're never gonna get to again that's just how that's just how it is but like it's it's it like lives on through a through a verse and i think that's just like that for me taps into just the trip that time is like not this linear thing and it's just this (laughs) this eternal flow i don't know i I don't know know how to describe it without getting all astral and shit but we can get astral (laughs) (laughs) i mean look at the background it's beautiful i'm all about it (laughs) um but no yeah definitely that i think just it's like the fusion of of you know experiences you've had and then what the one you're having right now and then this like make-believe imagery to this verse that's forming in a tune you know and it's like it all connects in some weird way it's interesting that you know what you were saying there about this idea of time not being completely linear, is that something you feel like you're playing with when it comes to the structure of songs? Like this idea of how, you know, like choruses repeat and stuff and how you can kind of play around with where you bring things back in? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's such a, a cool thing and a, a healthy thing to break down any sort of song structure. And again, just realize there's no rules and like some tunes just like, just need to be f- flowing in a totally different way, their own way. It doesn't work with like the AABA kind of vibe. So yeah, cutting yourself some slack and, and allowing yourself to play around with whatever the song needs is something I try to remember to do for sure. Which of the songs were written in Liverpool and which were written in Hawaii? It, so it's a total half-half kind of thing. Um, 
Come Down is definitely a Liverpool tune. It's a little, a little darker, <laughs> more moody, <laughs> a little less sunshine. <laughs> Was that the first time you'd had cold rain? Like the first time I'd like rain. lived in freezing cold rain. Yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> oh my god! I know, I know. And like, sun goes down at one thirty. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> I like for some reason coming from Kauai, and it's such like a arrogant view on it. But I was like, what seasonal depression? Like, what? Do you, come on, like, nah. <laughs> and then like it hit me. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Got myself one of those uh, sad lamps, you know, those like, the, like special LED, and oh my yeah. god, just try and soak up the sunshine and get some exercise. But yeah, no, that that hit me. <laughs> that must hit you even harder when you're coming from Hawaii, where you get sunshine all the time, all year round. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was the ultimate shocker, mate. It was wild. But um, yeah, come down was a Liverpool tune. Cruella de Vil, I wrote in Liverpool. So Come Down, I actually recorded in Liverpool. And then Acrylo DeVille, I recorded a version in Liverpool. And then when I got back after high school study, I kind of re-recorded it. And it's in the version that it is now. And then No Destination High School Study, those are both uh, written and recorded here. Can you hear that in the music? Can you very much, when you listen to it, do you get, oh yeah, I can really tell it. That was a song that kind of came from that period in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, I can hear it. Even to the point where, like, yeah, those are the guitar pedals that are over there, and these are the pedals that are here. <laughs> like, he can get all nerdy with it. That's just like the room I recorded in, you know, and the gear. But then the vibe, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. High school cities, like, that's that's the most kawaii tune for me, um, just because it was like so. It was so much about that reaction about coming home. Yeah, so that that's that's you know explicitly about it and then sonically just totally captures that for me and it's like tapping into a very open wound like that's a very kind of raw fresh thing yeah yeah and you get, i don't know if i'd go as far as to call it like a, a wound or anything but it was it was this raw this yeah definitely raw reaction to like like wow i'm home again and didn't expect that like you know you think the next like moving out of london but like no you're back in your old bed which is all good and like <laughs> lucky to lucky that it worked out that way. Um, but still a trip, you know. How did the house parties that you played in Liverpool compare to those that you've played in Hawaii? The kind of kitchen parties? Definitely a bit rowdier in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally ran the headstock of my guitar through our <laughs> through our little kitchen ceiling at this Aww. one. It didn't it didn't go all the way through, but it made a made a proper dent. Um, to the ceiling. <laughs> uh, that, that was that was about as uh, rowdy as it got in Liverpool, and then the Kauai is definitely there's less of a ecosystem kind of for that here. So the kind of like those live moments would be would have been at our kind of shop, you know, or like we would have set up in some alleyway and played kind of a kind of like anywhere and everywhere we can gather. <laughs> How is it for you as a creator kind of seeing your music provoke such different reactions in people? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's like, it's, well, it's profound. And I'm like, I feel so lucky to like, to have, you know, the tunes I make resonate with people to the extent where they're like, jump around and smashing bottles of Buckfast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm all for that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I love it. And it's it always, it's always a trip observing how different people react to it, especially different cultures. Like, we've, uh, we've played those tunes in 
in Paris and I've had quite a bit of time to play them in Italy too. And it's really cool just to see what, what people pick up on and how they react. And it's, it's, yeah, it's always, it's always different. It's cool. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm lucky to observe it. Yeah. And be part of it. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.